scripture in prayer. Chapter 25, verse number 1. O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, again, we're thankful, Lord, always to be in your house. Lord, we're thankful most of all us for your presence, Lord. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would take these praise. And, Lord, that you'd be satisfied with them, Lord, to be sweet. Savior to your nostrils, Lord, that every praise, every prayer will be brought unto you, Lord, and you'll be glad. Father, again, we're thankful, Lord, to be in your house. Father, we just pray you have your way, touch and move upon your people. And, Lord, we'll be careful to praise you and thank you in Christ's name. And, again, we say thank you, Lord, we love you. Amen. Amen. Let's remain standing this morning and remain for worship. Uh, I'm going to ask the ushers if they would come this time, uh, this morning. We have been uh, trying to gear up towards that, uh, again, taking back offering again. We're going to do things a little bit different still to kind of keep it safe and protocol. We're going to go ahead and keep rolling with worship. But if you have not had the opportunity to give your tithes and offerings this morning, we're going to ask you to bring them up front. Just slip them in the uh, offering basket or the offering bags. You can see that the wooden boxes are not here. If you are not able to come bring your offerings for whatever reason or need assistance, if you just want to slip your hand up or motion for them, they'll come to you to help you this morning. But during this next song of worship, if you would like to give it to the Lord this morning, you may do so at this time. Let's continue to worship.
giving. Let's pray over the offering this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We ask that you would bless the gift and the giver, those that had to give and maybe those that weren't able. Lord, we pray that maybe those that were not able to give today, Lord, that at some point in time, you would bless them to be able to give back to you and just show your, their love and affection towards you today. Lord, we pray that you would bless this offering. Let it be for the upbuilding of your kingdom. And we continue to give you the praise and glory and the honor that is due your name and the people of God together. Said amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you this morning. Let's continue to worship together.
tell the Lord just for about 30 seconds how good he really is to you today? Will you just take a moment, just tell him, it's the Easter season, that's what we celebrate is the goodness of the Lord for what he's done. We don't have to be in a hurry, we can just spend a moment with God. God, you are so good, thank you for what you do for us, you are a good, good father and friend. We are blessed, we are favored, we've been anointed, we've been called, we've been chosen to be a royal priesthood, but it's all because of what you did on Calvary's cross. Outside of the cross of Calvary, there is no hope for humanity. And today we stand in your presence to celebrate this Easter season what Calvary has done for me, both now and forever. Because you were so good that while we still yet were in sin, you died. Even when we did not even know who you were, still being knitted together in our mother's womb, you died. So that I may have life and have it more abundantly. So today we stand in your presence, Lord, and we declare you are good. You're good. For that we give you all praise, all glory, and all honor, and all majesty belongs to you. In Jesus, the name that is above every other name, we speak it in the name of Jesus, we pray. And the body of Christ together said amen. 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 You may be seated briefly in the presence of the Lord, but I'm not going to have you there long have your Bibles, I want you to go to a couple different scriptures. We're going to start out in Mark chapter 15. And we're going to also be in Luke chapter 23 and Matthew chapter 27. Let me say a couple things, kids. Church is happening in the back. If you brought a kid, take it home with you. Um, we, don't, we don't do, you know, buy one, get one specials uh, around here. So if you bring one, you take one. Um, we have a we have a, we have the best return policy at any place in this world. We have the best return policy. You bring them, we'll be glad to give them back to you. We're the best policy. We won't even charge you. We'll give them back to you for free. We won't even take 20% off the top. We'll just give them to you. So make sure you take your kids. Don't forget to download our church app. To find out all that's going on. Always for our online guests, I always like to just remind them. I know it sounds redundant, but all our online guests. If you want to know anything about our church, you can also go to our website. Any services you like, you can always listen on Google or Apple Podcasts. All of the services are archived. You can, if you say, well, man, I really enjoyed the sermon, but I don't really you know how to use the Internet that well, but I listen to podcasts or I listen to stuff on my phone or I wish I could go back and hear that service or I wish I could go back and hear that song, the praise team saying, we do things a little bit different than most churches. Most churches, I don't know if it's because they don't like their praise team or they just don't want to pay for it. I don't know. But most podcasts, you're only going to get to hear the preacher. You never hear their music because... I don't know if it's just that bad or they just don't want you to hear about it. I really don't know. But you subscribe to most churches' podcasts. You get to hear the preacher or whoever the guest speaker is. That's all you get. I'm nice enough. I'll let you hear the music too because I figured that's probably going to be better than the preaching. So I'd rather you listen to something that day instead of nothing. So I figured at least if you didn't like the message, you at least might like the music. So um, you can always subscribe to that. Giving uh, is a little bit different now. Uh, obviously in-house, envelope, Todd.ly or online. Uh, 
the new giving method will be the same. There is an offering box in the back. If someone come in late and you missed offering, you can always give. There's one right by the double doors leaving the church uh, that you can give, but we will be bringing the, the offerings up front. I originally thought about passing the plate, and I thought about that, and I crossed my mind. But then I read a scripture the other week that kind of quickened me. It says, you bring your offering to the storehouse of the Lord. Now, don't get mad at the preacher when I say this, but if we can walk through Walmart with a buggy and buy $200 worth of groceries and sell, stand at self-checkout and then walk them to our car and load them in our car, we can walk 30 feet and put, a, put an offering in for the Lord. I believe that we've lived in a generation now. We have made everything so comfortable and complacent. We've not put any level of responsibility. We, the new, this next generation just has this expectation, I sit, you pay. Hello? I don't need a job. Mom's got money. I don't need a job. Dad's got money. I don't need to get a job. They can buy my car, my cell phone, pay for it. I don't need a job. That's what my mom and dad are for. I wish I had that kind of mom and dad, but I didn't get that lucky. When I wanted a car, my mom said, you better get a job and buy one. <laughs> Uh, that was how I got a car. Now, I'm not knocking people who do things for their children. That's not what I'm saying. My point in saying that is, is if, you find, if you're physically unable, we'll come and bring, bring the offering plate to you just like we did this morning. One of our ushers will come to you. But in Bible times, Moses didn't go collect it for you. You had to bring it to the church. Moses didn't go to your house and pick it up. Now, I'm not saying if you didn't even do that, we won't. But you brought it to church, and you brought your own gift before the priest, and you laid it at the altar and saying, God, here's my sacrifice, sacrificial gift to you. Now, I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm making everybody bring in at the same time. I'm not calling you by rows or by family names. I'm letting you all come together. Maybe I should have done that. We're going to start with the letter A's. We're going to start with the R's. We're going to start calling you by rows. No, I'm not going to do that. The point to be made is, but we're going to bring it to the Lord. So that's kind of a new format. I know it might be take some time to get used to, but... Based on watching COVID numbers and life in general, I do feel safe enough now to let you kind of intermingle in terms of bringing that. So bringing those into the storehouse of the Lord. Let me make just mention a couple things. If you have not already signed up, please sign up for Easter Egg Extravaganza. Uh, we still can use workers. We still can use, uh, I'm sure, donations. Talk to Miss Sandy or Miss Jeannie. I'm sure they know what they need. I don't know what they need, but we always will take more candy. I don't care how much. If you say, well, I don't know what to bring, bring more candy. We take candy. We love passing out candy. The more candy we get, the more we get to send home. So it's great. So just, just bring all the candy you can. Next Sunday, 7 a.m., for all of you folks that like this, which is about only 10% of you, that's okay. That's okay. I understand. But for those of you that do like to see the sunrise, I can't explain it to you. I don't know. I hate seeing the sunrise, personally. I feel like if God wanted me to see the sunrise, he'd have made it later in the day. My philosophy is that... The sun rising is my cue when I'm supposed to get up. It's like a, That's like God's alarm clock. It lets me know when to get up. I should, but there is something about Easter Sunday. I've done this for a long time, even when I didn't have a sunrise service at the church I might have been serving at the time. I can't explain it. I've seen many a sunrises just because of travel and red-eye flights and flying home. Brianna and I flew home from, uh, from the honeymoon at 4 o'clock in the morning. I got to see the sunrise from the sky. I mean, we went up in the air. It was dark. While we still in the air, it was dark. About halfway through the flight, sun showing up. Pretty incredible to see it above an aerial view. But to be all that to be said, there's something about Easter Sunday morning. So I can't explain it other than just there's different atmosphere on sunrise on Easter Sunday. For those who want to come, we're going to be at the uh, tail race. 
canal like we did last year, there is a little surprise for you this year. Uh, well, one I'm not going to tell you about. The other one is, as of right now, the weather is going to be about 25 degrees warmer than it was last year when we did it. Last year we did around 30. Right now it's going to be about 59. I will take that over 31 every day of the week for sunrise service. But still be mindful of the weather. Based on rain, we'll let you know if something changes. If you want a blanket, like Brianna, who will be cold no matter what kind of day it is, bring your own blanket. I'll have one in the car just in case because she'll be cold. Um, bring your own chair. It's a lot for me to have to move every chair out there, and I don't know if you want to have a chair, bring your Bring your stadium chairs, your camping chairs. You can bring your recliner if you want to. It's, you got to move it, not me. But you can bring whatever you want. Any chair you want, bring it with you. Uh, but there's a couple surprises we're going to have for you next week um, that uh, I'm working on. It's going to be a lot of fun and exciting, exciting. So if you can make it, join me for that. If you can't make it for that, then come to church. <laughs> it is Easter by all means. I understand there's a lot of things going on in the world, but how sad is it that we would miss Easter Sunday with God. Of all Sundays, I'm saying every Sunday is important, but of all Sundays to go to church, Easter Sunday is a really good one to pick. <laughs> That's a good one to go to. If you come to sunrise service and you plan on staying for church, I'm going to buy you breakfast. You don't even have to bring your own breakfast. There's a sign-up sheet in the back back there. I have decided to be generous. I'm not even going to make you eat donuts only. I know, I'm a nice guy. You don't have to tell me that. I know that. I'm a nice guy. I'm going to buy you biscuits. You have choices of biscuits. This could get me in trouble, but, you know, I gave you choices. If you're planning on coming, I need you to sign the sign-up sheet. and You have a choice of Hardy's biscuits. You can get sausage, egg, and cheese, bacon, egg, and cheese, or plain buttered biscuit. If you want jelly, let us know. If you don't like that, then you can have the donuts and danishes in the back. But don't say, oh, I just had to eat a donut. No, you don't. I offered you breakfast. You don't sign up. That's between you and Jesus. And they said, well, Pastor, do I have to come to sunrise service to eat? No. But I'm going to have breakfast here around 8, between 8 and 8.30. So if you show up at 9.30 and the biscuits are gone, well, that's just tough luck because I'm feeding the people that ain't want the biscuits. So you sign up for it, but biscuits will be here between 8 and 8.30 uh, for us to eat. So please sign up. Uh, I'm going to get a biscuit because I'll be hungry. I'm just going to be frank with you. If I'm getting up that early, I'm going to eat. So you can eat with me or you can be fasting, but I'm going to eat that Sunday. And so if you want to join me for breakfast, please sign up. If you don't sign up at all, I'm probably not buying you a biscuit because I don't know you're coming. So make sure you sign up for that as well for Easter Sunday. And we're going to have a great day in the time of the Lord. I'm going to be preaching a message next Sunday entitled, There's Something Going On in a Graveyard. You're not going to want to miss it because all throughout Scripture, Stuff happens when Jesus walks into a cemetery. He walks to, and I'm not going to give you the spoiler alert this week, but every time Jesus walked into a cemetery, somebody else came out with him every time. He didn't go, he might have went in alone, but he came out with other people. He passed by funeral possessions, people got up. So we're going to talk about that not only did he go to different cemeteries and call people back, but no matter what you're going through, he can come into your situation and he can call you out of that situation and walk you out of whatever you're in. He can come into your life's graveyard and call you out and walk out with you and not leave you where you are today. Something's going on in a graveyard. So you're not going to want to miss that. That's the spoiler alert for next Sunday. I gave you the title. Come back for the rest of it next week. If you don't, I'll just assume you didn't like the message. So, that being said, let's stand all over the house. I'm going to read a little while to you. I know 
that normally I only read one or two scriptures, and then I kind of just let you do your thing and sit there and enjoy the festivities. But we're going to read a little while, because I can say a lot of cool stuff through the help of the Lord, but I think His Word sometimes says all it needs to say. Why do I need to add to it? God already wrote it, so I might as well let His Word say it for, for Himself. And for some people, they don't read their Bible throughs in a year, so I might as well read more of it to them so that they can have more on their Bible app to say they've read. Amen, preacher. That's good preaching. Man, I knew I was preaching better than your shouting this morning. Let's go ahead and start reading today. Mark chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 6. And we're going to read and we're going to go into Luke and Matthew's account of the same story here in a minute. Now it was at the feast that Pilate, he, released unto them one prisoner, whomever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them that had made insurrections with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. The multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had done to them before. Pilate said, Will I release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew, the Bible said he knew, that the chief priest had given them out of envy. Pilate knew this was a Ponzi. He knew this was a setup. He already knew it. But the chief priests moved the people, gathered them together, and said, Release to us Barabbas instead. Pilate answered unto them, Then what am I supposed to do with this king of the Jews? He's done nothing wrong. They say, Crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Why? What has he done wrong? They didn't answer the question. They just kept with their anger. Crucify him. So Pilate, willing to contend the people. Let me just put it in layman's term. Willing to pacify the crowd. Pilate went along with it. Can I tell you before I even get any further in this message? Don't pacify men at the expense of crucifying Christ. Because there's a lot of people that are still crucifying the cross, still crucifying the Christ of Calvary at the expense of trying to appease mankind. So Pilate, willing to contend, the people released Barabbas unto them, and he delivered them Jesus. He scourged him to be crucified. Now let's look at Luke's account. Luke tells this same story a little bit different. Pilate said to himself in verse 16, "I'll chastise him, talking about Jesus, and I'm gonna let him go. For of necessity he must release unto them one at the feast." But they cried out all at once, Away with this man, give us Barabbas. Who was for certain sedition made in the city for murder. He was put into prison. Notice that it wasn't the insurrection as much as it was the murder that everybody keeps talking about. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spoke to them again. But they said unto him, Crucify him, crucify him. He said, Why? A third time. This is the third time he's asked this question according to Luke's account. Why? What has he done wrong? I don't find a way or reason to kill him. I'll just beat him and let him go. But they were so insistent, their loud voice, requiring that he might be crucified. The voices of them and the priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that that it should be as they inquired. He released unto them that for sedition and murder, cast into prison, they who they desired. But he delivered Jesus at their will. Now the last account, Matthew's account. Now it was at the time of the feast of the governor, Passover. 
And he was going to release to them a prisoner. He always did, one that they wanted. They had a notable prisoner. They called him Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said, What shall I release to you, Barabbas, or this one who is called Christ? For he knew that they envied him that they had delivered. And when he sat down on the judgment seat, his wife. Now Matthew tells us something nobody else had told us. That's why I like to read all three of them. They all tell me a different part. Mark tells me that Barabbas was in for insurrection and murder. Luke tells me, Pilate kept asking them this same question over and over again. Why should I kill the man? Matthew says, yeah, but it wasn't just Pilate. The wife knew something was going on. Man, let me just give you marriage advice 101. Listen to your wife more often than not. She's going to save you a lot of heartache. I'm just telling you. Sometimes the voice of God and the voice of your wife are eerily familiar. And they almost sound the same. <laughs> you better listen. It is like the Holy Spirit speaking to you in the next room over. <laughs> listen to its voice. His wife said unto him, Do not do anything to this man. I have suffered many things in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered them and said, Whether of the two that I shall release in you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I then do with Jesus? They still led, said, Let him be crucified. The governor said, Why? What did he do wrong? They said, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was to be made, he took water, he washed his hands. Can I tell you, you can do all the metaphorical actions you want to and go through all the motions you want to, but you cannot wash Jesus away from your life. You can deny him and denounce him, but one day you will stand before him and your decision will be made at his feet. You cannot get rid of him by just washing your hands of him. He washed his hands of the multitude and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. You see to it. Then he answered the people and he said, The blood be on they said the people answered him, said, The blood be on us and our children. So he released Barabbas unto them, and he scourged Jesus, and he delivered them to be crucified. With the Lord's help, I want to preach on this the missing cross. There were not three crosses on well, there were three crosses on Calvary's hill, but that was not the original number. There should have been four. There should have been four. Father, to the best of my ability, help me to preach to this people the missing cross of Calvary. The missing cross of Calvary. Open our eyes, hearts, and ears to hear your word. We'll forever trust it into your care. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the people of God together said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now, I know as soon as I said there should have been four crosses, everybody's theology in the building just went out of the room and went, Oh, my God, it's heresy. Just follow with me through the message. And at the end of this message, if you don't see there's four crosses on Calvary's Hill, then I'll give you your money's back. I didn't pay for you, but I'll give you your money back. Not your tithes and offerings, the money you gave me. I'll give it back to you. Have you ever in life been wrongfully accused of something? Have you ever taken the fall for someone who they made the mistake but you suffered the consequence? 
Or have you ever gotten away with something that you knew you were guilty of doing and committing, but you let someone else take the fall? Instead of speaking up and saying, no, that was me, you let somebody else take the fall instead of you. You see the timeline of the story, the plot of the story we read today? Occurred somewhere around A.D. 26 to A.D. 36, somewhere in that 10-year span. I know that's a long range, but there's a little bit of discrepancy in some of the Greco-Roman calendars and some of the things that got lost. We were pretty close based on that, probably somewhere around the 32 to 35 A.D. window. But, but, but for safekeeping, it all depends on how you look at the calendar. But this is around the time of Christ's death. Somewhere around that 29 to 33 A.D., most historical accounts put it that way because according to Greco-Roman history, a man came to power known as Pontius Pilate. And he ruled the Judean area or countryside between A.D. 26 and A.D. 36. So we know it had to happen in this window because that is the Roman account of Pontius Pilate's rule of the day. Now while the timeline is good to know, That is not the main ingredient of the story. See, in order to fully understand Passover week, see, I know most of you today know what today is. It's Palm Sunday. And I know most of us, for time's sake, I'm not going to go here, but everybody knows what happened on Palm Sunday and what we celebrate Palm Sunday for. Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem. He's riding on the back of a colt, a foal of a donkey. He has the the disciples go and ask for him to be untied. This donkey had never been ridden before. I don't know about you. If you've ever know, ever been around farm animals, but a donkey that has not been broken in is a stubborn mule. And that sucker is not going to ride. It's not going to let you just hop on its back and ride it. Can I tell you, there are some people in the church that are still stubborn mules. Man, I am preaching good. There are some people still tied up to their past. They don't even realize. You ever notice something about a donkey? You just have to lay the rope around it. It's, they could literally pull their head one time really hard, and that rope would fall off. But because they see they're tied to something, they'll stay in that spot because mentally they think they're bound. There's too many things, people in this world, that have allowed the devil to make them think they're bound with so much chains that they can't get. And they're really not as tied up as hard as they think they are if they just would let the master call them and be used for his service. But they'd rather stay tied up to what they're tied up to and tethered to a pole instead of letting the master come and release them and set them free. But some people have gotten so stubborn in their walk with God and stubborn with church and stubborn with other things, you can't hardly move a stubborn donkey. You can't dynamite them. Now, I know we don't have them in our church, so I'm going to preach about other people's churches because that's the only time of year I get to do it. So I'm going to talk about other people's churches. Some other people's churches have stubborn mules, stubborn donkeys, because they don't like certain ways that the songs are sung, or they don't like a certain way a preacher delivers a message, or they don't like a certain color of the carpet, or they get mad because a light bulb got changed differently. Come on, somebody. We have what we call sacred cows. Man, I felt conviction all over me in that moment. And Jesus rides this brand new, never ridden donkey, but the donkey never revolted. The donkey never backtalked. The donkey never was stubborn. It let the master use him for his intended purpose because it knew that if Jesus was in control, everything would be all right. Can I tell you, instead of us getting stubborn and bogged down in the minutia of things in our life, if we would just submit, submit everything to the hand of Jesus and let him guide us, everything will work itself all right. They start raving palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. They throw in their coats. They're making a way. And by 
Wednesday and Thursday of that week, their cries of Hosanna have turned to anger and bitterness and cries of crucify him. That quickly. From the time that I stand before you today and preach this message and the time you walk on this campus next Sunday morning, the crowd's already put him on a cross. Now, most of the time, people preach on Easter, on Palm Sunday about the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you can go probably listen to my dad's sermon today at Columbia Road Church of God. On Facebook, he's probably preaching on the palm branches. Probably got a few palm branches at the church that he's borrowed from somebody. He's probably preaching on that. But there's a part that I always get a little, uh, uh, if you will, uh, uh, heart, heartbroken about when it comes to the Passion Week. We always preach Jesus' triumphal entry on one Sunday. The next Sunday, we're trying to get you all excited about he arose. But we don't talk about what happens in between very much. See, this morning, I want to talk to you about what happened after they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus has had a Passover meal. He has washed disciples' feet. He has washed his own betrayer's feet. You know you're God when you can wash the people you know are against you's feet. Ain't nothing more humbling than washing somebody's feet, first of all, that you like. It's even more humbling when you've got to wash people's feet you don't like. I tell you, most people in this room ain't going to touch nobody's feet, including their own spouse. I've been trying for a month to get Brianna to wash my feet, and she still won't do it. It just ain't working. I tried. I one night just sat laying in the bed, put my feet on her side, said, if you don't move it, I'll chop it off. And she's a nurse. She knows how to do that. I moved it. I don't want to be a peg leg next week. I moved my foot. Some people don't even like feet. But Jesus, knowing this guy's going to trade him in for money, still washed his I do believe, this is just a free nugget of golden truth, I do believe that if Judas would have had any remorse and said, I can't do this, Jesus would have saved him right then and found a different way. I believe that with all my heart. Jesus is never going to sentence someone to hell intentionally on purpose with no chance. That would go against the very nature of who he is and the character of God. He's washed his feet. He has spent time with him. He leads them to a garden. He asked them to pray. They throw in the towel. They fall asleep. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but come on, Lord. We've all prayed ourselves to sleep before. We started out, Lord, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for my Like, I don't even remember what part of the prayer I left off on. Some of y'all did that this morning. Y'all hit that snooze button three times. Oh, this is the day the Lord has made. I will read. Come on. The reality of it is he has them to pray in the garden. They show up with clubs, torches, flaming torches and swords to arrest a criminal. They come with an army, a militia, like they were arresting a felon who wasn't even a flight risk. He wasn't going to run. He even tells them, you come out here to arrest me with clubs? I wasn't going. You had, you had, I was in the temple. I was in the street. You had all this time to take me, but you come out here and you want to make me look like I'm some hard-nosed fellow. You had, I was right in the middle of you every day. And you never chose to do that. It gets before Ananias and Caiaphas. They stand there and they make their charges. Bubba calls out Israel's captivity at that time under the Roman Empire. Rome had gotten tired of the Jews' insurrection and disobedient and disoriented living. So they had set up different precincts where 
Jewish kings could rule a region, but there was a governor of Rome that sat over everybody. And that governor, <coughs> he answered to one person, the emperor or the Caesar of the day. And if any insurrection happened under Roman watch, whoever the sitting governor was, he died first. As an example. Rome had perfected the art of torture, crucifixion, beheading. They knew how to do their jobs well of the day. They were very advanced for their day. Pilate has been given the charge that you're supposed to Watch over this region and stop these Jews from trying to be rebellious. So the chief priests know they cannot kill Jesus alone because it would start a riot. And if it starts a riot, then Pilate's going to come after them. And then it's going because Pilate doesn't want to die, then they're going to get in trouble and they're going to be in prison or they might be tortured. And so they had to come up with a plan. They had to get Pilate to say it was okay. So off to Pilate's palace, if you will, or into his governing quarters, they stand. Pilate had made a deal with these people to keep them in line. Because Rome, they didn't like to pay for people to stay in jail very long. They didn't have the American view of, of jail it wasn't like, we'll just let you stay in jail for 65 years and just keep paying with tax money to let you stay there and live like you're in a you know, hotel with tea, free room and board, three meals a day, and, and, and free time. They, they didn't, they don't enroll in prisons. Rome thought it would cost them too much money, so they did expedited trials and quick executions. They wanted you in, wanted you out. There was no, you didn't get a lot of time to have an appeals hearing. And all, you might not even get, as soon as the trial was over, you might die that day. There wasn't a lot of time for an appeal unless you were a Roman citizen. But if you weren't a citizen of Rome, there was no appeals for you. So when you went to prison, you didn't get to stay very long in Rome. You know, a couple things would happen. If it was a mild crime, they would sentence you to forced labor, slave labor, for an X number of times. It could be certain years. It could be for a lifetime. And failure to do that would put you in a different category. But if you were a non-Roman citizen and you committed a crime that was a little more heinous than just stealing an apple off the apple cart, things like riots, insurrection, and definitely murder, your fate was execution. There was no questions. They might would torture you at first, but, but even if they tortured you, that was mild compared to they're just going to flat out kill you at some point. Just, you're done. There's a man sitting in prison, that many people and scholars and others believe that maybe joined a group of men called some zealots. Now, I want to talk to you about these zealots. So the first thing I want you to understand quickly today, and we only have two points today, is what is it like when you have freedom, but you end up a felon? You have all your rights one day, and the next day all your rights are revoked. You go from living in freedom to now you're a convicted felon. Because in this story this morning that I'm going to talk to you about just for a few more minutes, there were two men that one time had freedom, but both of them ended up being a felon. The only difference is one really did the crime.
but the other one actually paid the time for a crime he never committed. Because what the Jews had done, they had gathered themselves and they had created a sect known as the Zealots. They were a religious sect of people. And these zealots, what they did is they were fighting against the establishment of Rome. They were a religious group that their goal was to, if we can get enough army, we'll overthrow Rome. We're going to almost kind of be like an insurrectionist. And we're going we're to overthrow Rome. They were zealots. They were going to die for the cause of free Israel from Rome. So some scholars believe maybe Barabbas had joined this group. Because Israel knew, Judea knew, and, and the nation of Israel knew you didn't try to rock the establishment of Rome. But yet, this man has been found to be an insurrectionist. And ultimately, in that insurrection, he killed somebody. Now, there are debates all over the town. Maybe he killed a fellow citizen. But if he had killed a fellow citizen, Rome wouldn't have cared. They don't care if you kill each other. They don't bother them. You can kill each other all you want to. Just don't bother us. So there are many theologians, we don't have biblical proof, but there are many theologians who believe the reason he got arrested was because he had killed a Roman in this insurrection. And that was punishable by death. Because if he had killed one of his own, that would have helped out Rome. You're just weeding out our population. That don't hurt, that don't hurt us. That helps us. Rome wouldn't have cared. That would have been Jewish law to worry about, not Roman law. So for Rome to put this man in prison for murder, he had to do something that made Rome not happy. More than likely killing one of their own. Whether a soldier, whether a citizen, somebody. But this man called Barabbas had a family. I'm sure he had a mom and dad. He may have been married. He may have had children. But he had a family. He could have been a zealot. The freedom fighters. Could have been a part of a political stunt. Whatever it was, he's now in prison. He's lost his freedom. He's lost it all. He's now a felon. There's no hope for him, it seems like. He knows Roman law. He knows his execution day could be any moment because he's not supposed to stay there very long. But somebody else felt the same thing. There was another guy for three and a half years walked on this earth as a crowd favorite. Thousands flogged, thousands flogged to him to hear his message. Eat at his table. See him raise dead people. See him open blinded eyes. See him make the lame walk. Thousands had watched him do what only he, this man could do. He was a crowd pleaser. I mean, he sold out arenas all over town. He was the best show on the road. But how quickly the cries of being a fan favorite turned to not being a fan favorite. Now, I don't know how many of you follow secular media but just a couple weeks ago the Oscars fan favorite winning an Oscar for his role as King Richard the, playing the part of Venus and Serena Williams' father's story Will Smith been in thousands of movies and shows and won. in a weak moment goes up on stage And rings the jaws of a man like hey, you hadn't seen him live in a long time. I mean, racked his jaw. Now that same man, crowd favorite before the Oscars, won the award. 
has now been banished for 10 years for attending any event, had his voting rights revoked, and countless, just this week came out, hundreds of different screenwriters and directors that had him cast for movies have revoked his contract and either are canceling their movie or screening with somebody else. He's literally losing all of Hollywood getting him to play any part in a production. Like that. Crowd favorite? Like that. It changed. See, that's how the devil works, though, church. The devil will let you walk around thinking that you're last great and hunky-dory and a bag of chips. The devil will let you live in sin for a season. Sin is pleasurable for a season. We know all that. But the devil's going to make you think, hey, everybody likes you. Everybody thinks you're great. You're, a, you know, all your friends at school think you're awesome. You're the crowd favorite. You're the people pleaser. You know, everybody wants to be like you. And if you continue to feed into the lies of the enemy, he'll keep promoting that. But once he gets you to a certain point, he's going to put you in a place where you now become arrested by him. You may not physically end up in jail. You might. But if you don't end up physically in jail spiritually, the devil will arrest you and incarcerate you and try his best to destroy you and take you out before you even know what hits you. Barabbas is in jail, but now Jesus is accused. He's lost his freedom and become a felon. Crowd favorite to the most despised man. Some loved him. Some hated him. Some fought for him. Some revolted against him. They accused him of leading people astray, claiming that Caesar should not be paid. They did anything they could. They trumped up charges. They lied. They did anything they could to get this man sentenced to death. Both men are in the same situation, but only one actually had the power to change the story. There was a wealthy contractor that one time was contracted in New York City to build some jails and housing blocks for their jail because of the way the city was outlined they were struggling to keep enough secure locations for prisoners so they contracted this wealthy uh, man wealthy contractor to come and build it and he built them what they didn't know is throughout that time he was also in the process of embezzling money and forgery a few years later he got caught and got sentenced and the day he walked towards the jail cell he turned to the arresting officer that was putting him in his cell, and he said the following words, I never dreamed when I built this prison that one day I would be an inmate in my own cell. That's how the devil works. The devil will help you build your own prison, your own uh, 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 guillotine. Your own. The devil will help you build your own destruction, and he will watch you take yourself out on your own. Most people find themselves enslaved, prisoners in their minds, situations they never thought they would be in. Barabbas is chained in the prison. Jesus is bound in Pilate's praetorium trying to stake his claim. I'm sure Barabbas' family was worried. So was Jesus' family. There was, there was not a very well-to-do situation here. Everything was going to go wrong. I wonder what was going through Barabbas' mind because I know he had to sit there thinking, I should be the one going because it's crucifixion day because in Rome, crucifixion day was a family event. They didn't just do it once in a while, they, you know, every day. They scheduled these things so that they could get the people to see them. So if you do this, you'll be the next one up here. It was an event. They brought their children to it. Can you imagine? They brought their children. These, this was a family event. You, you ain't put on your Sunday best. Today's execution day. 
Don't get too judgmental of Rome because in Charleston we used to do the same thing. If you know anything about Charleston history, when they would hang them down there in Charleston, they would get in their Sunday best and come watch them die. Watch them. No doubt Barabbas probably knew the cross that they're currently building. I know my other two. Remember what the Bible said? There were two other. The Bible said he was in there with other inmates, insurrectionists. He was one of them. May have been even cellmates with the two thieves. We don't know, but there was the Bible said Barabbas was with two other insur- or with more insurrectionists in his cell. Can you imagine when they came to the cell and said, "You and you come." He knew they were going to die, but they never called his name. No doubt Barabbas had to think, they're building one out there for me. I killed a Roman. I killed somebody. They're, they're, they're going to put me on this cross. But they never called his name. I wonder what went through his mind. Who, who could possibly be next? I mean, I've been waiting my turn. No, no matter what, you know he was thinking something in his brain. But before I close, he got to understand something, all right. He got to leave prison. To be pardoned. Can I tell you no matter what prison you're in right now. Of your life. Mentally. Physically. Financially. Emotionally. Health. Whatever it may be. I don't care what prison. He's still a chain breaker. And he's still a miracle worker. And he's still a promise keeper. And he still will make a way when there seems to be no way. And you can sing the songs of Zion. And you can sing the hymns of the church. Or you can sing a modern day praise and worship song. But while you're sitting in the chains of despair. The Bible tells me that in the midnight hour. Those chains can fall right off of your arms. And those fetters can fall right off of your feet. And everything the devil's tried to hold you back on. Everything the devil's tried to tether you to. Everything the devil's tried to make you be stuck to. And can't get past. The Bible said Jesus will restore the year that the canker worm. And the lotus worm took. He is the redeemer of the time can I tell you you know I don't care what you've done I don't care how bad it was I don't even care if you're sitting in church this morning tell me you were a murderer if you come to an old fashioned altar and you look at that cross and say there was a cross that had my name on it but it's not mine anymore because somebody else went to Calvary's cross and put my name on there instead you don't have to stay in prison you can get out and be pardoned by the name of Jesus Christ Barabbas is waiting But he's never called. The Jews had accused many. They hated Matthew because he had kind of sold him out being a tax collector. So when Jesus called him to be a disciple, people got mad because he's hanging out with the enemy. Pilate tried to send him to Herod. Herod said, I ain't touching him. That's on you. Pilate tried to pass the buck off. Let me just beat him. That didn't work. Pilate sitting on the judgment seat getting ready to be the judge. His own wife, which in that day, you didn't come talk to somebody on the seat of judgment. Your wife, your wife just don't walk up in there and be like, hey, I want a money with him. That ain't how that works. I'm sorry, ladies. Back then, women's rights were not like they are today. You, you, you have advanced in many ways. Back then, you just didn't walk into the the man's quarters, if you will, at judgment seat and come talk to him in front of the people because you'd have been the next one down there on the block. Because that would have looked as an act of insubordinate and disobedience to him and you would have been the next. He would have had to make a display of you. But she sends somebody out there and says, I don't care what he's doing. You tell him he better come in here and talk to me. You ever had your wife or somebody, even if it wasn't your wife, maybe one of your children say, hey, Mama's looking for you, and she wants you to come in there now. You, you ever notice, be like, oh, I'll be there in a minute, when they say, no, no, she means like now. 
You know that means I better go on right now. It's going to be bad. But mama said, come in right now. She meant right now. Look, I know I've only been married a month, and I, I know I've, Brenda and I have been together two plus years. But I, I can tell you just by a tone of voice when I'm in trouble. I already know. I'm telling you, I'm so good, I ain't even got to hear her voice. I can feel it across the room. I ain't even saying that. She just look at me, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm in trouble. I feel it. It's like something in the atmosphere changes. I just feel it. It changes. I can imagine Pilate sitting there getting ready to render judgment. Someone says, you might want to come back inside here. For what? Your wife's looking for you. I'm getting ready to render judgment. I'm just telling you, sir. Your best interest. You might want to take a praise break, pause for a moment, and go back inside and talk to your wife. She ain't real happy right now. The pilot goes in there. I don't know if he was very nice. Hey, sweetheart, how you doing? Or if he was agitated. What? I'm doing something. I don't know which way he was. All I know is the Bible made it clear. She said, don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. I have had dreams about this man. Can I tell you that even the enemy knows he shouldn't be messing with the Lord. I should just stop right there and let you just go ahead and leave church right now. Even the devil knows this is a dumb idea. She said, don't you do it. You'll regret it. Don't you do it. But Pilate listened to the voices of men rather than to the voice of reason. Can I tell you there's a lot of... Get, there we go. Just like the devil. You, there are many people that are right now living in this world are listening to the voice of the media, listening to the voice of man, listening to the voice of celebrities, listening to the voice of everybody else, and not listening to the voice of reason. I'm here to tell you this morning. I'm not here to tell you who your mama and daddy and your grandmom and your great-grandmom is, but I'm telling you right now, anything that stands directly in opposition to this word, this is the voice of reason. And if you don't know what this book says, it's about time you face the book and get in it and read it. Because I'm telling you, there's coming a day we're going to stand before a Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to have to answer not to Pilate, not to the Romans, not to the voice of reason, not to your wife, not to your grandchildren, but you will stand before an almighty God. And one day everybody is going to look at the Christ they crucified and they're going to have to answer for the account that they made on that day. They're going to have to answer. Miss Carol, make your way. Pilate, why wife said, don't you do it. But he listened to men rather than to reason. When you start trying to appease man at the expense of compromising God, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. You will regret it. Pilate relents. He releases a prisoner. Can you imagine Barabbas, Sister Brenda? He knows his two buddies have gotten taken out. and They're headed for crucifixion day. Can you imagine when the guard comes back, Brother Carlsey, to that same block and says, Barabbas! You know what his first thought had to be? They got mine ready too. 
They got the first two set up, but they got mine for me to come. He's rough looking. He's dirty. He stinks. He's disheveled. Brother Dennis, when they walk him out into Pilate's Praetorium, he looks over. There's another man standing there. But that man looks worse than him. He's bleeding. Every orifice of his body is exposed. Flesh and organs are all... He is literally a skeletal remain of a human being. Oozing with blood. I could imagine the two of them made eye contact. Black eyes swollen, barely can keep his eyes open. But somehow Jesus and Barabbas make eye contact. And Barabbas is thinking to myself, wait a minute. What did that guy do to deserve to look like that? I didn't even get treated that bad. And to his shock, he heard the crowd say this. Crucify him. But let me go. Because if you're Barabbas, you think they're about to put you up there with the other ones. You're the fourth man on the cross. They called this guy, so they're going to put him up there with us too. But it had to be shocking. When they say crucify that man, if I'm Barabbas, I know I was a murderer. I know I was a cheater. I know I was a bad man. It had to be shocking to hear them say crucify him, but then turn and look at me and say, and let him go. Could you imagine when Pilate finished washing his hands and that Roman soldier unlocked those shackles? And for the first time, Barabbas could grab his wrist and he... Look, some people might think he just sprinted off. Maybe he did. I'm going to tell you what I'd have done. I almost would have stood there stunned for a moment because I can't believe what just I just witnessed happened. I would have probably stood there for a moment looking, going, is this really reality? Did he follow Jesus all the way to the cross? I don't know. Did he watch to see how he was treated all the way to the end? I don't know. But one thing I do know is that day when he stood in front of Pilate's Praetorium, one thing he did know that somebody else took his cross. Instead of it being Barabbas, somebody else carried Barabbas' cross. He knew that. He may not have known a lot about Jesus, but he knew that somebody else took Barabbas' cross. See, I read a story one time, and then we're going to close. The President Andrew Jackson was going to pardon a guy by the name of, uh, excuse me, pardon the name of a guy by the last name of Wilson. He had been accused of stealing and robbing the United States Postal Service. And at that time, you could be hung. So President Jackson went to the Chief Marshal and said to him, let him go. Let him go. Wilson replied back to this. Thank you, sir. A pardon is just a slip of paper. The value is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If they refuse to be pardoned, then there is no such thing as pardoned. And that day they hung George Wilson because he refused to be pardoned. Can I tell you that many of us are one day going to stand before the man who took our cross. Well, we have to decide are we going to accept his free gift of pardoning our sins. 
or we reject it. But if you reject it, just know that it is not because he didn't love you. It is not because he didn't offer you a better place. But a pardon is only as good as if the person willing to accept the pardoning of wrong. There's a lot of people going to wake up in hell because they did not accept the pardoning. It wasn't that it wasn't made available. They just didn't accept the gift. See, Barabbas' name split in two words, Barsabas. The literal name of Barabbas is this. The son of consolation, the son of exhortation, the son of comfort, the son of a teacher, the son of the, of the father. So listen to what Barabbas' name meant. Son of consolation, exhortation, comfort, son of the teacher, son of the father. The son of consolation should have died. But in reality, a different son died. The son of the great teacher, Barabbas, the son of the teacher, he didn't die, but the great teacher, the son of the great teacher did die. The son of the father, Barabbas, didn't die. But the only begotten son of God did die. So here's my plot before I'm done. 30 seconds and I'm out. I'm going to have to get you to fix this back. I'm just forewarning you. Just go ahead and know I'm in trouble. There were not three crosses on Calvary. That's the story we know. There were three crosses that were stuck on Calvary's hillside. That is true. But there was a fourth cross missing that day on that hillside. It wasn't just Barabbas' cross that was missing. It was mine. My cross should have been up there too. Jesus was guilty of something, all right. He was. He was guilty of love. That's what he was guilty of, doing it out of love. These thorns shouldn't have been on his brow. Should have been on mine. Those nails that they used to ensure that he stuck, they shouldn't have pierced his hand. Should have pierced mine. See, I wasn't there to be Barabbas. But this Easter season, everybody has to remember one thing. We all too must still look at that cross and think that there was someone standing on the other side of Pilate's Praetorium that looked at Pilate while I was still a sinner. I was still in prison. I was still in my shackles and chains. While I still yet was in sin, the Apostle Paul said. He died. I never stood before Pilate. And I 
never heard the crowd ring out, crucify him. But I deserved the same fate Barabbas deserved and those other two thieves deserved. I was a sinner. I was wrong. I had rejected a Savior. There should have been four crosses. If Jesus had to die, so be it. That's what it cost. But there is a missing cross. There's one cross on Calvary that we don't know about. There was one cross missing. I should have been there too. I should have carried this cross. I should have felt every weight of its timber on my back. And I should have walked every agonizing mile. But somebody else stood on the other side of the courtroom, Brother Marion, and said, I'll carry it. I'll carry it. So this Easter season, I want to ask you this this morning before, this afternoon before we're dismissed. We're out of here. What are you going to do with your cross today? Because you walk out of this building and you like Mr. Wilson and you reject the pardoning. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing your grandmama, your granddaddy, your aunt, your uncle, your mama, your mimi, whatever, nana, whatever. Nobody can save you but you. You walk out of this building today and you reject the pardoning. If something tragically happens to you, there's nothing I can do. I can't pray you out of it. Because you rejected the man who gave you the rights to come out of prison and to be set free. But every one of us under the sound of my voice has to make a decision on this cross. No, we're not going to put you up here this morning and hang you and let you be nailed to a cross. But you have to make a decision what you're going to do with the cross you should have bore. Because for every man, woman, boy, and girl in the sound of my voice this Easter season, I don't want to take for granted that everybody is saved. Maybe you are, and that's great. Even if you are saved, then maybe you just need to be reminded. There was a missing cross, but it wasn't just mine. It was also yours. There was one for every one of us. But somebody else carried it for me instead. So what are you going to do with your missing cross today? What are you going to do? Are you going to accept it? The pardoning and crucify yourself daily on that cross? Or are you going to do like so many others and reject that cross that should have been you? Are you going to reject it and act like it never happened? I can't answer that question. Only you and God can. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to take long because we have places to be and people have things to do today so I'm going to ask this one time one time only you say pastor this message resonated in my heart I have some things that I need to take to that cross I got whether it's some sins whether it's some struggles whether it's some frustration I got some things I need to nail to that cross I need to face the cross I should have bore Maybe you say, well, Pastor, I need to be saved. Whether it's saved, whether it is you need God to do something. But you say, Pastor, this message has spoken to my heart. It's challenged me to the point that I have to face reality of what happened on that cross. I need to accept it today in the full pardoning of everything it represents. 
If you can honestly say, that is you today, with no one looking around, I want you to just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, that's for me today. I need to make sure that I'm right with God. I need to make sure I get some things done. I need to make sure that I stand before Him, pure hands, clean heart. I got some things in my life. Yes, any others? Yes, I see that hand. Are there any others? Yes, thank you. Before we're dismissed, if everyone would stand all over this house, I'm not going to embarrass the men and women that have raised their hands today. But I can say beyond a shadow of a voice that, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that even if it meant nothing to you, this Easter season I needed to be reminded that there was a cross that had my name on it. Sometimes I get bogged down in the minutiae of cookouts and festivities and Easter egg hunts and days off from work and good food. And I forget that somebody else took a really big price tag for me to enjoy that. When it could have been me, I could have been the one that never saw another Easter again. Somebody else took that so I didn't have to face that. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to do something that's so unconventional that probably is going to rock most people's theology of how you're supposed to do an altar call. I have come to the realization. I have said it. Most pastors say it all the time. And we say it, it almost becomes redundant. That it's not about me, it's about the cross. Fix your eyes on the cross. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. We've said that so many times. You could almost come up here and say it better than I could. So, this altar call is going to be a little different for the people that raise their hands. I'm not going to make them come up. But I'm also not going to have have you close your eyes either. We're going to do something very out of the box. You don't need to see me. You don't need to hear me. You don't need to know what I'm doing. You need to look at that cross. And we get ready to pray this prayer before we pray our prayer of benediction. I don't want you to close your eyes. I want you to focus and talk to God. And I want you to think about that should have been your cross. Will you pray together? Father, we stand here today knowing that should have been me. That should have been us. That should have been my family. That should have been my cross to bear. But instead, you did it in my place. That cross is blood-stained. It is a beautiful picture of what your love was willing to do for a wretched sinner like me. I didn't deserve you. I didn't deserve what you did, but oh, you did it all because you loved me. Don't let us get lost in the hustle and bustle of Easter. We don't remember that there was a missing cross. That cross was mine. I was the one that should have been there, not you. So now it's my responsibility to commit my life completely sold out and totally devoted to you and live the rest of my life as a sacrifice of appreciation for what you've done for me. And for that, Lord, we love you. 
Father, before we pray this benedictory prayer and have those that pray it, pray it today. Father, may you bless us and keep us and your face shine upon us and be gracious to us and lift up your countenance towards us and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts till you come again. God, will you let the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray and ask these things. With the remaining in a spirit of prayer, I'm going to ask Brother Randy Erchberger right where he is standing. He will pray our benedictory prayer. As soon as he concludes, you can consider yourself dismissed. Don't forget the sign-up sheets for all the things, breakfast and Easter eggs and all that stuff next week. But don't let this week go by without remembering there was a cross missing from Calvary. And it should have been mine. God bless you today.